Amen. Good morning. Good to see everybody out this morning. I love that statement. I think it's absolutely true that man is most satisfied when God is most glorified. And that is part of uh, the reason why we need to live, well, it is the reason why we need to live a consistent life. When we live consistently in the way that reflects who we are in Jesus Christ, not only will God be glorified, but we will find joy and peace, and we will be satisfied in our lives. So this morning, I invite you to open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to finish our series on consistency, and I want to speak this morning about living under the influence. Living under the influence. There's a story about a dignified old clergyman who owned a parrot, and he loved this parrot. Uh, he really grew attached to it, but the parrot had this problem. The problem was that it picked up this just horrific vocabulary from its previous owner. And so this poor pastor would have uh, people over, and of course this parrot would use some very salty language. And so after a few embarrassing moments, the pastor realized, you know what, i got to get rid of my parrot. I don't want to do it, but i got to get rid of my parrot. And a lady in his congregation suggested this last-ditch remedy before he gets rid of the parrot. She said, I have this female parrot at home, and she is the most saintly bird. I mean, she is absolutely quiet on her perch and sits there and prays. So she said, why don't you bring your bird over, and uh, let's see if my saintly bird can influence your salty bird, I guess. <laughs> and let's see if it'll change uh, its behavior. So the pastor thought about it and said, okay, well, why not? It's, it's worth an effort. So he took the bird by the house. And as soon as the pastor's bird saw that female, female bird, it chirped, hi, toots, how about a big kiss? Well, this saintly bird looked at that parrot and said, my prayers have been answered. Almost. <laughs> Amen. Well, I guess we saw which way influence was flowing in that uh, relationship. Well, let me ask you, who influences you? What influences you? I mean, we are, uh, not only are we influenced, but we also influence others. I mean, that is life. So think about it. What influences you? I bet if I was to just take some time and see how you interact during your week, what you listen to on your free time, or who you talk to, or who you hang with, I, get, I, I bet I could get a pretty good clue as to who or what influences you. Well, this morning I want to talk about influence, and I want to talk about the fact that if we are to live a consistent, godly life, then there must be a godly source of influence within us and uh, influence that we give in to. And so Paul is going to kind of wrap up what he's been saying uh, about living a godly life by talking about influence. And he begins by describing the influence of a wasted life. 
So I invite you to look in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 18, and we're going to look, we're going to start by looking at the influence of a wasted life. Ephesians 5, 18, the Bible says, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. So the first thing we notice is the wasted life, the influence of a wasted life. You know, there was a juggler that was driving to his next performance, and he was stopped by a policeman. And he looked in the back, and he saw these machetes in his back seat, and he said, what are those machetes doing your, in your car? And the juggler says, well, it's part of my act. I, I juggle. Well, the police officer didn't really believe him, so he said, oh, yeah, well, come on out and show me how you juggle these machetes. So the juggler gets out and starts tossing these knives on the side of the road. And a driver came by and he goes, wow, look at that. He said, I am so glad I quit drinking. Look at the sobriety test they're giving now. <laughs> Brother Stan gave me a 10 on that one. You know, we've all heard about drinking and driving, and really it is no laughing matter. Somebody who is drunk and is driving is in danger to everybody. And how many lives have been lost because of that? But we call that a specific thing. We call it driving under the influence. The influence of what? Well, the influence of a substance, in this case, alcohol. And the decision-making process has been hampered because of that substance. We are influenced. We are literally controlled by it. But, you know, with alcohol, it's not just driving that is in danger. Everything in your life becomes in danger. You know, we just think of it, don't drink and drive. Well, listen, don't get drunk because, listen, all kinds of bad things come from that. How many bad choices have been made by somebody who wasn't in their right frame of mind because of alcohol? Plenty. How many lives have been destroyed? How many families have been wrecked? Plenty. Plenty. And Paul says, do not get drunk because it leads to debauchery. What is debauchery? Man, that was, that's kind of one of those big words. I had to look it up. Find out. What, what is that? It is unrestrained, self-indulgent, immoral behavior. It's reckless abandon. It is the wild living of the prodigal son. And Paul says, as Christians, do not do that. Don't do that. It is sin. In classical Greek, it signified extravagant squandering both of money and of the physical appetites. It is wasteful living. And this is where drunkenness leads you to a wasted life. It's wasted. What a, what a sad way to live, but so many do. It is wasteful living. It's a waste. You're throwing away your money, your time, your energy, your relationships. You're throwing it away. 
It's a wasted life. And Paul is writing these believers who were coming out of this lifestyle. And it was there in Ephesus. In Ephesus, drunkenness was closely associated with idolatry and temple worship. In the mystery of religions that started back in Babylon, which influenced Greek and Roman culture, the height of religious experience was communing with the gods through ecstasy. Drunkenness was part of that experience. This communing with the gods would include self-hypnosis, music, frenzied dances, heavy drinking, sexual orgies, all designed to get the worshiper into a high emotional state. And as I was studying this this week, the one thing I couldn't help but think about is what we call the modern rave. That's exactly what you got going there. That's exactly what it is. And they would get into this high emotional state as if they were somehow communing to these gods, which are no gods at all. In fact, in Paul's day, there was a god of Dionysus, I hope I said that right, also known as Bacchus. He was the god of wine. And in the worship of this god, wine and drunkenness was a feature. In fact, in the ritual, intoxication of wine was tantamount to being filled with the spirit of that god. This was what was going on in Ephesus. So you can see why Paul is pinning these words. Because it would be easy for them to confuse drunkenness as a form of worship. Brethren, God does not get glory when you are drunk. I thought I'd get a bigger amen than that. Thank you, Sister Anime. He does not get glory in your life when you are being controlled by a substance, alcohol, any drugs. And that's what Paul was addressing here. It was a problem in their society. It's a problem within our society today. Now, I guess I should go ahead and address the issue of alcohol. And this always stirs people's feathers. So I will tell you unashamedly that I will teach always that you should not drink. I take an abstinence position. I am not ashamed of saying that. If you want to debate me, we'll debate. I'll give you two reasons why you shouldn't drink for everyone you give me. Plenty of reasons why you should not be, drink. But some may say, well, is it a sin to drink? And my answer to you is it can be. My answer is it can be. See, my absence based on I just think it is smart and wise not to drink. I think that's wisdom. I think you're opening the door for a whole lot of other things. That's why I come to my conclusion. But if you're asking me, does the Bible say it's sin? Well, I can't say that. But I say it can be. For example, drunkenness, we know, is sin. If you drink and you cause your brother to stumble, guess what? It is sin. If you are underage or you're hiding behind your parents, guess what? It is sin. If you're drinking on the job and your employer doesn't know it, guess what? It is sin. I can give you scenario after scenario where it is sin when you drink. True. Now, 
I guess the question really, though, is not whether I can drink, but whether why I drink. See, we always ask the wrong question. We ask, can I drink? The question should be, why do you feel you need to drink? Why do you feel you need to drink? You see, whenever someone says to me, it's just a drink, I know that it's more than just a drink. Do you drink to cope with your problems? That's escapism. Instead of turning to God, trusting God, resting in Him, you turn to a bottle or whatever that substance may be that you're medicating your way through your problem. A bottle cannot help your situation. If anything, it'll make matters worse. And when you finish your drink and you come down from your high, guess what? Your problem is still there. Unresolved, still there. Would I say that is sin? You tell me. You know, there's a move even within Christianity right now that is saying, well, we have the freedom in Christ to drink, so we will. In fact, they'll even brew up their beer in their Bible studies. When the argument is, we need to be culturally relevant so that others will hear the gospel and we'll reach them. I have so many problems with that attitude. For one, it's not whether I drink or not that someone's going to respond to Christ. It's the word of God being accurately told and the spirit of God working on a heart that draws a person to Jesus Christ. That's how people come to faith. When they understand the message, they realize they're a sinner and the spirit of God draws their hearts. That is how a person is saved. We get hung up on things that just aren't there. But when you think about it even more, really the attitude and the mindset is this attitude of rebellion. Don't tell me what to do. I'm free in Christ to do whatever I want. And it's really rebellion cloaked in religious garb. That's what it is. We don't want to be like those old fogies in the church. Right? We're more spiritual. So we can indulge. Let me say this to that mindset. To me, spiritual maturity is laying down your freedoms for the sake of your brother in Christ. That's maturity. Finally, some drink just because of how it makes them feel. You know, they want to fit in. Listen, we've all been teenagers. We know the pressure there. It isn't just teenagers, though. It's adults who do the same thing. We want to be accepted. I want to feel good about myself. Instead of resting in who we are in Jesus Christ, we have to turn to some substance to make us feel good about ourselves. That's sad. But it's true. So the question really isn't whether can, should I drink or can I drink. The question is why do you drink? What is the motive of your heart? And so if you want to exercise your freedom, then I ask you to check your motives. Take a look within. You know, last week, Brother Reuben brought a message on wise decision-making. 
And Wednesday night we talked a little bit further about it, and I have one of these little sheets about a process for biblical decision-making. I encourage you, pick one up. Go down the list. Ask the, go through it and say, should I or should I not? And this is why I come to the conclusion of abstinence, is because I feel it's just better and wise for me not to. Just go down the list. Think it through. Ask yourself the hard question, why do I want to do this? And then address that, because that's the issue. Brethren, the issue is always this. The issue in all of our acts always comes down to our hearts. Check your hearts. Always comes down to that. Well, anyways, let's, let's move on. I think I got on my hobby horse enough for one, one morning. And again, I'll remind you, Reuben is here. You can always bend his ear if you've got any complaints. <laughs> Reuben's going, no, and I don't want to get into this. <laughs> uh, look, the point of this passage is that our lives should not be influenced and controlled by alcohol. Where do you turn when the days are evil? That's exactly what Brother Reuben preached last week. He says, look, be wise in your living because the days are evil. We know that. We know that there's heartache and struggle and pain in our world. Every one of us acknowledge that. Every one of us experiences this. The question is, where do you turn? And Paul is saying to them, don't turn to alcohol. Don't be drunk as a response to the days that are evil. Where do you go when you're frightened or discouraged or depressed or anxious? Paul pleads with them and pleads with us today. Don't turn to the substance. Turn to the Spirit. Turn to God. And that is the point that we see here in the next one. And that is the right source. The influence of a consistent life is the Holy Spirit. Notice again, it says, don't be drunk with wine. But what does he say? He says, instead, be filled with the Spirit. And the key to understanding this passage is to see the contrast between being drunk and being filled by the Spirit. That's the key here to understand. It's about control. It's about influence. If you want to live a godly life, then you need to be influenced by the Spirit of God what it is because it's the spirit of God that gives you the power to live a godly life and that is what Paul is saying here he's saying the instead of the influence of alcohol the influence of a, a life that is to the glory of God is one who is influenced by the Holy Spirit literally it says to keep on being filled with the spirit well what does that mean well, it doesn't mean the indwelling of the Spirit that we already have. Listen, when I came to saving faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit indwells me. That's not what is being talked about in this passage. Neither is it some kind of second blessing that you have to get. That's not what it's being referred to here. Many charismatic groups will talk about this second blessing that you must receive. That is not what is being said here. The command here is to be filled by the Spirit in a day-to-day, -day, is a day-to-day -day conscious effort to allow the Holy Spirit to control our lives. That is what is being said here. 
we are to be controlled by the Spirit. To further explain it, if I were to say to you that somebody was full of grief or full of anger or full of joy, we know that when we say it in those terms, we are saying that that emotion was dominating and controlling their life. Somebody who's filled with grief, they respond in grief. Somebody who's filled with joy responds in joy. They're happy. You can tell it. That emotion is controlling them. And here what Paul is saying is let the Spirit of God control your life. We are to do this. Now in both verbs in this passage, okay, both of them are passive which implies the fact that we give consent or permission for it to happen. In other words, I have a part in allowing the Spirit of God to control me. And so do you. We have to consciously allow the Spirit of God to control our lives. Now this is a command. Mind you, this isn't an option for the believer. We are to do this. And ideally, we are to have this interrupted pattern in our lives of the Spirit of God controlling us. But we know that isn't the case. Despite the Spirit within us, there are times when we sin and we grieve the Spirit. But we have a choice to allow the Spirit to control us. And when we are controlled by the Spirit, we will live a consistent life. One that brings glory and honor to God and one in which we will find joy, peace, satisfaction. And that's a life that's filled by the Spirit. You will find your joy and your peace and your hope when we allow the Spirit to truly control us. To control our actions and our thoughts. And Paul says that there are certain characteristics that mark someone who's being controlled by the Spirit. There are marks, there are evidences that someone is being controlled by the Holy Spirit. So let's read on verses 19 to 21, and let's look at these marks of a, of a life that is controlled by the Holy Spirit. Verse 19. Speak to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now Paul says here that there are three marks of a life that is filled by the Spirit. There's really three overwhelming marks that show that someone is just being just controlled by the Spirit of God in their lives. And the first one is this. It's a heart that sings. There we go. A heart that sings. And it really kind of encompasses those first three actions that we see in here. Look at singing is the natural response of a heart that has found joy and peace in Christ. It is a natural response of a heart that is filled by the Spirit. That's what singing does. 
It's, a, it's a, just a response of worship to God. Now, I want us to notice that this singing has two audiences. There's two audiences involved in our singing. First, we see that we are to speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We sing to each other. Now, I know some of you would prefer that I don't sing to you. And <laughs> I heard an amen. And there is good reason for that. So I'll just speak to you in psalms. How about that? But the context here is that we're to sing to one another, and that is within the fellowship of believers. Well, why would we do that? I mean, why do we sing to each other? Well, we sing and we remind each other of the characteristics of our great God. We remind each other when we sing who our great God is. But it's more than that. We also declare what our great God has done for us and the work of Christ in our lives. And this is why our songs need to be biblical and rooted in the truth of Scripture. Why? Because of what it declares. Listen, it's not about style. It's about truth. And worship, you know, we've all these worship wars. Really, it's how we come together and we exalt God together. That's the way we should worship. But the key in all this is that the truth of who God is is declared through our singing. Listen, when anything else trumps that, then we're off base. It's not about the style or the music or any of that. What's important and what has to be declared is the truth of the song, which is why we need to scrutinize what we sing. Because it is, that is what is key. The truth about God. The truth about what Jesus Christ has done in our lives. That's what is important. Unfortunately, we've gotten into too many battles over styles and this and that, and we forgot the main element. The main element is who God is being declared through the song and what Jesus has done. Now, in this passage, we see that the Psalms referred primarily to the Old Testament Psalms. He said, speak to one another in Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. This would be the Old Testament Psalms uh, that, they, that they had put to music. Uh, but also the term was used for vocal music of any sort. Hymns referred primarily to the songs of praise, which the early church were probably distinguished from the Psalms, which exalted God, and in that they specifically praised the Lord Jesus Christ. Spiritual songs were probably the songs of testimony that covered a broad category that included any music expressing spiritual truth. That is what we are to do through one, to one another. We are to sing these songs. The audience is each other. But the audience is also the Lord. Notice, verse goes on and says, Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. We are to sing and make music from our heart to the Lord. Now, again, while we should always strive 
to give our best in everything. I mean, hard for you to believe, but I actually do try to hit that note, all right? I mean, some of you may not believe that. I know I cannot hold a note, even if it had handles. But the point is, I do at least try to be on tune. Uh, I'm still working the clapping thing, though. I just can't quite get that one out. But, but nonetheless, all right. We're to give our best to the Lord. But the real key is this, guys. It's our hearts. You sing and you make melody in your hearts to the Lord. It's not about the skill as much as it is the heart. It's about our hearts. We are to sing and make music from our hearts in praise to our Lord. That is a characteristic of the Spirit indwelling us. How can you not sing when you think about how great our God is? It's true. How can we not praise him? And a characteristic, it just bubbles over in, the, in our music. Well, there's a second one, and that's this. And that is hearts that are thankful. Hearts that are thankful. If there's anyone on this earth that should be thankful, it should be God's people. This morning we had all the things that we were thankful for on our screen, and we have so much as a church to be thankful for. God has truly, truly blessed us, and it is a mark of the Spirit controlling our lives that we are grateful, that we are thankful. Listen, resentful people are not being led by the Spirit of God. We're not. Medieval legend tells of two angels sent to earth by the Lord to gather the prayers of the saints. One was to gather the petitions and the other was to gather the thanksgiving. The angel responsible for petitions was not able to carry them back to heaven in one load, while the angel responsible for thanksgivings carried his back in one hand. Well, that's true, isn't it? I mean, I read that, and I had to think of my own life. How many more, how more am I going to God and saying, God, I need this, I need this, I need this. And how much do I go, God, thank you, thank you, thank you. One seems to be greater than the other. But we ought to be thankful, people. Listen, when we are thankful, it affects the way we act. It does. It'll affect the way we act with one another. It'll affect the way we act with others around us. We'll find contentment and peace when we learn to be thankful. It's true. Instead, we focus on what we don't have instead of being thankful for what we do. And so a mark of the Spirit is that we are thankful for all that God and it says, notice in the passage, it says, always giving thanks to God the Father for what? For everything. Wow. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. As God's people, we can be thankful for everything. Even the hard stuff. Because our God is in control. Finally, we notice this. And that is a heart that is submissive. A heart that is submissive. Now, submission bothers many people. They view it as being weak, a doormat, that you've given up control, 
And that is not what Paul had in mind here. In fact, I would argue it's right the opposite. Giving control of our lives to the Holy Spirit will allow us to be submissive to others. And the word here means to range under. It speaks of us willingly placing ourselves under others. It's not a weakness, but it's a rational choice to prefer others above myself. That is the mark of the Spirit. And in this passage, notice it says, Submit to one another, the context of church, to one another out of the reverence for Christ. We're to, we are to submit and prefer each other because of our love, our worship, for Jesus Christ. It is a mark of the Spirit. Now again, think about it in the context of what Paul just said. He said, look, don't be controlled by alcohol. Don't be drunk, but instead be controlled by the Spirit. And I thought about this this, this morning, the contrast there. I mean, listen, is a drunk person happy? Is he singing? Well, he might be singing, but he probably doesn't remember what it was, right? Is he really thankful? Is he really submitting to others? It's usually right the opposite. He's drinking because he's sad. He's drinking because he's, he's anxious. He's drinking for all these other reasons. Certainly not thankful. But as God's people, we could be right the opposite. We can sing with joy. We can be thankful. We can submit when the Spirit of God is controlling us. And therein lies the contrast. So many people are trying to escape life through medicating their way out of it. And I'm here to say the answer is Jesus Christ. He can deal with those issues in your life, and you can find joy and peace. You can sing with assurance. Even if the world is going around you in chaos, you can sing with joy because you know your God is in control. That's the hope we have in Jesus Christ. So we have to answer, ask the question, what is controlling your life this morning? How do we allow the Spirit to fill us, to influence us, to control us? If you have your Bibles, flip over to Colossians just real quick. Colossians 3. And I need to flip there because I cannot read that screen. So I think it's up there. Yeah, Colossians 3. Here's a parallel passage found in Scripture. And we'll notice that the same marks of the Spirit are found in this passage. But he kind of gives us a clue as to how we can allow the Spirit of God to control us. Notice Colossians 3, beginning in verse 15. It says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, and as you sing songs and hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. 
know, in the sermon text and in this passage, the singing, uh, uh, the singing, the thanksgiving, the submission all follow the filling of the Spirit. But also we notice here that it talks about the word of Christ dwelling within us. It's therefore easy to conclude that the filling of the Spirit is not some esoteric, mystical experience bestowed on spiritual elites. Instead, it's taking the Word of God and letting it indwell and infuse us and, and, and we meditate on it and we, we let it be every part of our inward being, the Word of God. And as we are filled with God's word, it controls our thinking and action where we become more and more under the control of the Holy Spirit. How do you know what God expects in your life? Well, through his word, through us taking it in, through us meditating on it, for us understanding what he says. And then allowing the spirit of God to work in our hearts and to help us carry out that what God has commanded us to do. So what is influencing your life this morning is the question. Is the Spirit of God controlling your life? If you were to take a look at those evidences, are they being seen in your life? Do you sing for joy because of who God is? Are you thankful for all that you have? Are you willing to submit to one another, prefer your brother in love? Those are the marks of a life that's being controlled by the Spirit. If it's not there, well, that doesn't mean, oh, it's all over. No, repent. Say, God, help me. I, I want to live with this joy in my life. Help me. And then make a commitment. To say, okay, God, I'm going to be in your word. I'm truly going to try to do your will in my life. Help me do this. Turn and allow the Spirit to control you. But if you're doing like the other and you're trying to find other ways to solve your problems, listen, I'm here to tell you it's a dead-end road. Turn to God, and you will find this, pre this peace and joy in your life. Let God be the influence in your life. Don't give it away to other things that are ungodly. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this passage of Scripture how it challenges us to live in a way where you are in control. Help us as your people. Help us to allow your spirit to control us. Help us to reflect these marks in our lives. Because we do know that when we live for your glory, we will find satisfaction. We will find joy and peace and hope. Father, we realize when we try to turn our problems and try to find other ways to deal with our problems outside of turning to you, Father, we realize that we don't find that peace and that joy. We just find more trouble. So help us as your people, Father, to live in a way that brings you glory and honor, to live in a way that is controlled by you. And I do pray for the one who may be here this morning the one that has never come to a place where they realize how much you love them, how much you really care for them, a 
place where they realize that you've sent your son to die for their sins, I pray that you would begin drawing that person, that they can truly find life. Because what this world offers is not life. It's death. Life is found in you. And I pray, even this morning, that you would begin working on that heart. So, Father, it is with grateful hearts that we come to you, lifting up our petitions, but thanking you, Father, for sending your Son and for giving us life. Help us, Father, again, to live in a way that brings you glory and honor. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand. Let's sing. I don't know what's on your hearts. Maybe you've got, you're a child of God this morning, and you've got some problems that you need to turn over to God. Maybe you've been trying all kinds of other ways to deal with it instead of going to God and saying, God, help me. Listen, the altar's open. Maybe you're here this morning. And you cannot say that you have a relationship with God. Maybe you're here and, and you don't even know what that is. Listen, I would love to share with you about how you can be right with God and find joy and peace and contentment. Something the world cannot give. Something no substance can give you. It's something only God can. Whatever your need is, as we sing.